It began as a single note that reverberated through the gaming consciousness. And with it, a flood of memories would come rushing back. Of lives lived. Of lives lost. The characters and the stories that we all fell in love with. And 23 years later, it still reverberates through our very soul. It is, of course, Final Fantasy VII, and today we're going to be looking at how this game has really touched some members of the gaming community. While doing so, we're going to be looking back at the horrors of not having a memory card and having to walk away from your game mid-battle. We'll then revisit Battlefield 1942 and debate one user's notion that this game was a good tool to teach his children about World War II. Finally, we're going to be taking a look back at Burnout 3 Takedown. And we're going to be visiting one gamer's notion that Burnout is a good game for venting aggression unlike many other games of his time, purely because there's nothing else to distract from the gameplay, or is there? Join us for these discussions and more as we take today's trip down memory card lane. morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my friends. I hope that these words find you well, and that your day is full of joy and happiness. With all the craziness going on in the world, we just want to send you some good vibes. Hello, and welcome to episode two of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane, the podcast in which we take your stories about video games and turn them into important conversations about how they've impacted your lives and more. That's right. We want to hear your fondest memories of gaming so that we can share them with anyone who will listen. So if you're that person who has some great memories to share, go visit our website at memorycardlane.com where you can directly submit them or you'll find a link to join our official Discord community where you can converse with us or with others. Share your stories, guys. We want to hear from you. It makes it much more interesting. I'm the creator and your host, David Casson, and joining me again today as my co-host is the second best-looking sibling in our family, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm doing well, Dave. And let's just make one thing clear. If we're talking about the best-looking sibling, Dave is obviously not talking about himself <laughs> as first. He'd probably be our sister. <laughs> Jury's still out on that one. Let's, let's, I, I did say, you know, <laughs> like, t tell them I'm the good-looking one. Uh, you know. Maybe Christina is the best-looking sibling. Maybe it's me. You'll never know. Either way, you're in the middle. So, yeah. Rob, we're sitting here again for another episode. The fact that you've joined me again, the fact that we've uh, still been talking all week means that the first episode couldn't have gone that bad. Still, I'm going to take an opportunity to ask you, how do you think the first episode went? You know, I think for a first episode, it went well. Obviously, there are some hiccups. There's some unsurety. But we got through it, and that's all that matters. And all that we can do from here, we could possibly get worse, but I doubt it. I'm pretty sure from here, can only Did get you better. have to say it? I think we could possibly have gotten worse. 
Well, you know, you always can. There's always it, the chance. We want to shoot for the ceiling, not for the floor. I mean, the goal is to grow and level up and get better. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we could get worse. I could not put out another episode. I mean, there's always that possibility. Very Would you have true. done anything differently? I might have prepared myself a little more, but there's always going to be that chance that sometimes the best reactions are going to come when you don't have that much prep. So I wouldn't say too much. It's just continue on and see how everything goes. <laughs> That's going to be like the polar opposites of our approach to this. So on one hand, you've got the Oprah preparation and you're like, I'm just going to show up every day. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I me. love it. Yep. I love it. Love you gotta it. Gotta be love one. It. So, uh, welcome listeners. Again, if you're joining us for the first time, I want to say welcome. And if you're returning for another episode, welcome back and thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're having as uh, much fun with this as we are. So is there anything else you want to add before we get into it? Just want to say thank you as well. Well said. Well said. Last week, we briefly touched on Final Fantasy VII as the game that I had considered to be the first video game that I had ever considered to be a work of art. Coincidentally, it was released 23 years ago this week. Actually, 23 weeks to the day since we're recording this on Monday. And, you know, it has gotten a recent remake, which has made it very fresh in the minds of the current gaming collective. Still, I wanted to take a chance to hit the rewind button and go back and look at it in all its original glory. So, Rob, what do you remember about Final Fantasy VII? The major things that I remember from this game are the one of the first bosses, the Scorpion Robot, the guy with the Gatling gun for an arm, and then the uh, weird train graveyard. Those three things to me growing up, like when I was young, first watching you play, were very very distinctive about this game and definitely made me definitely stuck in my head a little more than other things so scorpion robot which is one of the early bosses if not the first one if i remember i believe I haven't it's the played first. it in a hot minute the guy with the gun on the arm who shows up right in the beginning and the graveyard the train graveyard i remember the train so you remember everything from the first part of the game in midgar basically yes that would be correct did you ever play the game yourself I did when I was a lot younger, so I don't remember the end game as much as I remember the early game because I definitely played the early game many, many times because I at least know the first boss for me was extremely difficult at first. So I got very familiar with the beginning of that game. I, It was tough. I remember the first time I ever played through it, I was so eager to rush through it that there were definitely times that I hit walls and couldn't beat things, had to run around and level up and grind to get further. I had an opportunity to play this many times. It became a summer game for me. Every summer vacation, I would play through it at least one time. And the more I played it, I started to learn to take my time. And grinding wasn't so much of a thing when you take your time. Game's also much easier. So I remember when this game first came out, I don't think I had it at first. My best friend had it at the time. And I remember going over to his house every single weekend to play this game. It was another one of those games I think I had talked about like uh, last week where, you know, we get dropped off after school on Friday and then picked up late on Sunday and we'd fight for as much time on each end as possible. You know, I, I still remember my mind being absolutely blown the first time it loaded up. The music, the scene, the video, 
it was it was awesome it it was awesome uh, my mind's still blown out i mean i i can't even find the freaking words honestly it 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 there was nothing like it at the time and i had played so many role playing games i mean so many role playing games starting with you know the original final fantasy and dragon warrior and working my way up through the nes and the and the super nintendo era and then here we have this game on the PlayStation that just has 3D graphics and full motion video and the music and the atmosphere, the characters, their stories. Oh, man, it was it's still absolutely one of my absolute favorite games in, in the scheme of things. You know, I I'm going to confess something here. I haven't played the remake yet. How dare I'm you? I'm almost afraid to. I have such fond memories of this game that I don't want someone to ruin them. And I understand that the remake is different and I understand the remake is good. I have heard nothing but good things about it. I really have no reason not to play it, but I do love this game and I don't want it ruined. I can understand that myself. I, you know, I make the stab at you, but I myself have not done the remake yet. But uh, finally, Olivia loaned me her PlayStation 4, so I might finally bite the bullet and pick it up and see what it's all about. Because, you know, I do love the original and don't think that it could possibly live up to the same name. But I would love to see where the um, artistic creativities of the creators, of the developers of this remake went and uh, see how they did it. I mean, can't compare to the original, but I still think it'll be a phenomenal you know, game. I, what stands out to me the most was the characters and their story. Everyone in this game had a story, and every place that you went had a connection to the characters for the most part. You know, you went to this town, and it was this person's hometown, and you went to this town, and while traveling, you know, Cloud, the main character, had done something in this town. And then so-and-so's parents worked in this town. Uh, just every every single place that you went had story. And I don't remember another role-playing game before this, per se, that the world was so well-connected to one another and the characters were so fleshed out. I'm not saying that there weren't good role-playing games before that. Not at all. I am a fan of the earlier Final Fantasies. I love me some Chrono Trigger. I really do. You know, I we talked about Illusion of Gaia last week, and, and there are other role-playing games from the Super Nintendo era that I absolutely adore, but I don't think that anything else held a candle to this at the time. So yeah, everything just felt so alive. And then, of course, there's Cloud. I mean, that's such an iconic character in gaming right now. Am I right? Yeah, I would You I have agree. this dark, brooding character who is so confused about who he is and where he comes from. I mean, it's literally, he's, he's literally in the middle of identity crisis. And that's something, it's so easy to relate to when you're a teenager. Because I would have been, uh, what would I have been? Would have been like 13 when this came out, roughly? Yeah, just it's just a dark brooding character. You know, this is the essential identity crisis character that we sit time and time again. 
you know, like Fight Club and and Blade Runner, Memento, maybe Mulholland Drive. Hold on, Dave. What was did did you just say something with FC? Because I thought uh, rule number one is we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not talking about. No, I didn't say anything at all. I think you're sadly mistaken. Oh, okay. So, Good to know. You know, when you're a teenager, you can absolutely relate to not knowing who you are. And in this case, the main character, spoiler alert, you know, the memories are manufactured. People are going to eat us alive. Nerds can't even figure out this game. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the comments all over the place. Oh, well, that's great because that gets you guys involved and that's what we want. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, back to Final Fantasy. You know, one thing I remember is the battles taking forever. We kind of talked about that. I know that time changes for you as you get older, for sure. I think as I got older and I kept playing this, I, it, the first time I played it, I thought it was a game that took forever. And maybe it did. Who knows? Maybe we played through it in 100 hours. I remember it taking more like half of that as I got older and kept playing it and can get there and get there and get there. But one thing I do remember is all the mega boss battles, because that was something that was unique to this series. Do you remember any of those? Uh, I can't. I feel like I vaguely do, but not very well. So I'm just going to say on the safe side. No, no ruby, no emerald. Don't don't remember any of the weapons at all. I remember weapons that you had to fight, but I don't I wouldn't remember just by seeing them. It's just a vague memory of this game. But it's also kind of mixed in with other games that I remember from childhood, like that uh, Teenage Mutant Turtles in Time. Yeah, it's a good one. I remember. I want to say it's at the beginning of the second disc, but somewhere in the game. Maybe the third disc, because it comes out of the crater, the North Crater. I remember a full motion video in which one of the weapons came alive and just broke out. You know what I remember about the full motion videos, actually? I remember playing and being so goddamn excited to get to each one. Like, we didn't have games with full motion video like that. And, I mean, this one pushed... They look so freaking real. Every single one was awesome the the weapons coming alive sephiroth with the nibbleheim burning in the background that was one that that stuck out for a while there were so many good full motion videos to tell the story so on that note i want to share a memory that one woman posted on the final fantasy subreddit that i came across that i think we can all relate to I'm super late to the Final Fantasy VII party, but it's taken over my life for the past months, and it's the first JRPG I've ever played. I've been grinding nonstop to get to a level where I can even entertain the ruby weapon, and I still, I've been defeated 40 times over. Currently, I'm embroiled in a fierce 20-minute-long battle thanks to a one-hit KO that missed two of my party. A few more rounds, and I know I will destroy this motherfucker. I can taste victory. Mom and dad have been yelling at me for 15 minutes to go to bed and have started threatening me with getting rid of the Nintendo. Rob, do you, do you remember when they called every system on the face of the earth the Nintendo? No, I, they were pretty good around the time when I was playing more games. Oh yeah, there was one, once upon a time everything was the damn Nintendo. Alright, I concede and pause the game, carefully roll the controller up so the cord won't be pressing any buttons, and tilt place it in front of the console so that no one will see the glow of the on button. Nothing is out of place. No one has any reason to go near or touch the PS1. I'll get up early and I'll wipe the floor with the ruby weapon. So tomorrow comes and I quietly race down to the stairs of the PlayStation. Everything is perfectly as I left it. All but one thing. The light is off. 
the fucking light is off. What the actual fuck? I'm not gonna lie. I if if I was her in this position, my my stomach would have sank there. <laughs> my, have have you ever had that happen where you've left something like that and it's been it's been gone? All too many times. <laughs> it's it's the freaking worst. I turn on the PS One and and hopes that just maybe there's a magic sleep mode that doesn't exist and it will load my game back to where I was. It obviously doesn't. I am a tiny glass cage of emotions. So she goes on to say that it would be another three weeks of leveling before she was strong enough to beat Ruby properly. You didn't have to play a lot of games without the save function, did you? No, I didn't. Yeah, I definitely think that that's something that the younger generations take for granted. There was a time when we didn't have the save function. We didn't have memory cards. We didn't have built-in memory on the games. I still remember playing without memory cards. You leave the PlayStation on, you hope no one touches it like this poor woman here. And I can't even tell you how many times I've I've come back to a game that wasn't there. And you just eh, shrug your shoulders, chalk it up, and you get back to it. I remember computers. We had a Atari ST, I think it was, which was a computer, early computer in the 80s. And Dad had bought me these books on making your own video games. They were coding in basic. And I mean, you really didn't learn basic. You copied word for word from the book, the code for the computer game, but it would take you an hour, two hours to type all this code in. You couldn't save it because there wasn't any way to save it. We didn't have, we didn't have any way to save it. So you spend a few hours coding these games, a little chintzy, you know, ASCII drawing type racing game is one I remember making. And then you'd get to play it for, I don't know, a couple hours and hope no one turned the computer off because once the computer turned off, all your hard work was done. But it was super exciting to make your own games even back then. It's not like it is now. It's way different to make games now. It's still easy. But back then it was this newfangled thing, you know? Early Nintendo games didn't have memory cards either. We had passcodes the passwords would save your place so you could get a password that would start you at this level with this equipment or a password that would start you at this level too but after a while everyone got wise of that and they used to make all these books that had these passwords and stuff in them that you could get from the store so you could skip around in levels do you remember any of that stuff i definitely have had some printed cheat code books. Yeah, those were still around in the PlayStation era, weren't they? Yeah, I uh, one of the most prevalent ones I remember. I was like, best cheat codes of whatever year, 2004, 2003, 2005. And uh, most of the time I was using it for the Grand Theft yeah, Auto Yeah, you games. had all those codes that would instantly increase your uh, wanted level and give you all the guns and stuff, right? Yeah, that and the ability to fly, fly with, with a tank. A tank. Yeah, there was one you would uh, turn like a low gravity or flying cars on, and then you would use the gun of the tank, the main barrel, to propel yourself <laughs> forward. <laughs> Which Grand Theft Auto was that? I want to say it was Vice City or San Andreas. Maybe both of I them you were able to remember. do that. I think flying with a tank would sound like fun. It definitely was. So, you know, I still remember having to look up guides to this game and others on our shitty internet 
Do you remember Game Facts, GameFAQs.com? Ironically, I had just visited it a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember why, but uh, definitely was just on there not no, too long ago. No way. Well, yeah. Don't don't give me this. I don't remember why. Why in the name of God's green earth would you have been on Game Facts in this day and age? Uh, maybe it was Grand Theft Auto Five campaign making the most money off stocks guide or something. I don't recall. It was some game I was looking up a guide Man, for. We used to use that all the time. It it wasn't like it is now with all the video walkthroughs and the picture by picture guides. We used to have all those stupid text based ASCII guides where people had to be super descriptive about how to find things. I'm pretty sure that that site created a whole generation of writers because people had to be so creative when they were writing their guides to tell other gamers how to play through games. So you were looking up a, a stock guide for Grand Theft Auto? I'm pretty sure it was. I don't recall exactly, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. How is the stock market in Grand Theft Auto? Things doing well these days? It's very lucrative if you uh, know when to buy oh, and sell. I mean, the same can be said for the real stock market. What the fuck do you need to know from the GTA guide? Who to kill and oh. win. Well, ironically enough, I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of guides on the game fact site that could tell you that too. I'm going to admit something. I am doing research for this. I actually went to game facts for the first time in forever and searched for a final fantasy guide just to kind of get a little bit of nostalgia. You know, I went to the final fantasy guides and I clicked on the first one, which was an ultimate guide by absolute Steve. I, I guess he's the pentultimate Steve, you know, if he has to know himself as the ultimate or absolute one. So I'm going to put a link on our website with the show notes if anyone wants to take a look at it. But right at the top of the guide in, the, in old ASCII was the word Facebook. And I'm going to tell you that took me right out of nostalgia, like instant snap of the finger gone. Well, I was doing research. I also stumbled across this Reddit thread. It was a discussion on the remake entitled playing Final Fantasy seven remake is still surreal. And it was posted by goddess of Anubis. Uh, and I want to share this post and some of the replies. So Goddess of Anumis states, The original had helped me through a tough time where I needed something to focus my attention while, while at the lowest lows of my depressive episodes. Now, Rob, I don't know how much you know this, but I've kind of struggled with depression my whole life. You know, these days, admittedly, I'm, I'm doing really well with it. I've been to therapy. I've been on medication, you know, since I was in my mid-20s. And so I can tell you from experience that Video games have very much been an escape for me for most of my life. And it's kind of a place I, I tend to dive into them when I'm I have depressive episodes. They're they're definitely where I go to when I don't want to deal with anything else. And I think that's a lot of why I'm so adamant about sharing things, because I think that's the case for a lot of people listening too. How how do you feel about that? I would absolutely agree. Um, I know that video games have helped with a lot of situations, um, you know, difficulties in college and things of that nature. Being able to use video games as an outlet to let out those frustrations, as well as keeping in touch with uh, not only yourself, but with friends from back home uh, that I was close with prior to leaving that I wasn't able to drive over to their house within 10 minutes anymore. It was roughly, you know, hour 45, two hour drive to see friends. It definitely got a lot more difficult 
uh, adjusting to that in the beginning. And games definitely were a nice outlet to uh, get through all of that. I want to read some more of this thread. JMedic89 replied, I hear you. It's almost as if this game had defined a whole generation of people who are willing to let it immerse them into its world of comfort. It brings me happiness to know that other people share the same perspective and bond with this game. I think that's a lot of why we're here, isn't it? I think a lot of people share our perspective and our bond over mini games and, and, and gaming in general, and it brings us happiness to be here and share it. So here's a fun one. Tin Andra Tin Heroa writes, What's wild for me is that my game buddy back in 97 is now a dad with two daughters. He told me he showed the remake to his eldest, and he told her, This is the game I played when I was your age. That's kind of scary. I, I, I think if I had children, it'd probably be the same thing, though. It'd be introducing, here's a classic, kids. Come come play with me, you know? Yeah, I definitely would Rob, think so. is there anything else that you want to add about Final Fantasy? I, you know, I know we started the conversation, you know, off the premise that last week we talked about gaming as an art medium. And, you know, this I want to talk about because it was definitely the game that became that i remember the earliest gaming as art i just i was in love with the music i was in love with the the game the graphics the story the characters i mean everything about it was just to me a masterpiece and from the nostalgic standpoint it sticks out in my head as one of the earliest pieces of games that i thought was just purely a work of art so it's special to me is there any anything you kind of want to touch on before we move on I don't have a whole lot. I will say I definitely do know that there is a lot of music from this that is uh, very memorable and has stuck with me over the years. But I do want to say that this is uh, definitely pretty high up on my list of games that I absolutely need to play because the fact that I remember as little as I do is not something I want. So time for me to get on this nostalgia train and add this to the playlist. Yeah, I don't think you'll regret it. Uh, You know, I crap. I mean, just log on to any social media network. I obviously get a lot of stuff from Reddit. I spend a lot of time on there. There's thread after thread after thread of people talking this game up, playing it for the first time, finally playing Final Fantasy VII. I mean, you could probably find a dozen in the last week. And then people talking about the remake, too. It's uh, you won't, You won't regret it. It's an amazing story. And back then, the type of investment that this game required was rare. There weren't a lot of games that asked us to do 40, 50, 60 hours back in 1997. And so I can understand why as a young kid, that felt like such a big deal and such a big investment. With that being said, nowadays, that's the norm. Games take a lot of our time and we invest 40, 50, 60, 500, 1,000 hours um, Rocket League into it. Yeah, so it's not nearly as much of an investment as it used to be. So, All right, well, I think we're going to move on from Final Fantasy VII, but in doing so, I want to move on with this note from the same thread. So Jap the Stampede writes, I played this game during a dark period of my life as well. I was a kid dealing with my parents, splitting up, new father figures in and out of my life, new cities, new schools, a lot of moving around and being the new kid. I got bullied for being skinny in school a lot as well, which is why I think Cloud resonated with me so much. Here was this little guy that was a complete badass. I'm 28 now, and the remake has damn near brought me to tears on multiple occasions. It felt like home, which is something I rarely felt with my upbringing, and it's so astonishing that a video game has filled that void with so many people. And on that note, 
Let's take a short break. You know, Rob, as we're sitting here talking to one another, I can't help but think of that, which is one of the most important things that keep us going. What? You mean like food and water? No, man. I meant more so the thing that allows us to communicate with one another and bring everyone this podcast. Oh, you mean the internet? No, close. We sure wouldn't have the internet without it, though. Ah, computers. (laughs) No, Rob. Electricity. Ah, yep. That makes sense. Rob, did you know that the Shinra Electric Power Company is dedicated to making electricity easily and widely available to the entire world? I've heard, Dave. In order to do so, doesn't Shinra extract that poisonous stuff from the Earth? What was that stuff called again? That, that's Mako, Rob. And Shinra's state-of-the-art extraction process renders it perfectly safe, ready to be processed into the beautiful electricity bringing us to all of you listeners. Didn't Mako Energy recently surpass coal as the world's primary energy source? It sure did, Rob. Mako Energy has been in production for over 40 years without so much as a single accident. No pesky black lung. No coal mine collapses or any accidents of any sort to be found here. Just clean, safe Mako energy. I love clean Mako energy, but I owe my life to Shinra in other ways. How's that, Rob? I got jumped walking through the streets of Midgar one day, and if it wasn't for members of Shinra's public security division, I might not be here today. That sounds scary. It was, but now, when I walk the streets, I feel safe thanks to Stamp and the loads of peace preservers walking the streets of Midgar. Wow, Shinra is here to help everyone, aren't they? Clean and safe power. And clean and safe streets. That's the Shinra Electric Power Company. You know, Rob, it's really these things that we associate with gaming that we're here to talk about each week. You know, nostalgia gives us the good feelings. But those Final Fantasy memories reflect the fact that sometimes we associate games with the bad things as well. As we, you know, with that last one, we heard about Final Fantasy VII being an escape for someone bullied and another memory in which it was a dark time in someone else's life. I stumbled across the same concept when I was doing research for the next game we're going to be taking a look back at today, which is 2002's Battlefield 1942. Back in 2017, one fanatic Battlefield veteran with about 4,000 hours into the game wrote a look back at his 15 years of his experience with Battlefield. And he prefaced the entire thing with an interesting prologue. This is from Whoops TV. And he wrote, I've been playing since 2005. In 2004, when I was around eight years old, my parents divorced. My father was an alcoholic. One night, he forgot his keys to our apartment. My mother had to call the police. She didn't want to let him in. He almost destroyed the door. That's when my mother told me we were moving. And a week later, we were gone. My entire idea of what a family was supposed to look like was just destroyed in a moment. I lost most, if not all, of my childhood friends as I couldn't hold any of my appointments, I changed schools, and I just became joy-deprived. I guess my mother thought a new PC would cheer me up. In December 2004, she gave me a game called Battlefield 1942. She got him, the, I think, the whole collection because he was a, a Battlefield Vietnam fan too, but he talks about 1942. He literally goes on to say that his parents' divorce made him into the gaming nerd that he is today. I think that's a little weird introduction into video games, wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I would say so. Do you have a weird introduction into video games, Rob? No, just watching you and your friends play. I guess that is kind of weird. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My goodness. So we, I mean, you know, you and I, we've played the Battlefield series for as long as I can remember, haven't we? Uh, absolutely. I 
definitely still remember the land parties that you had in the basement with all of your friends and uh i would be on the computer upstairs and uh we'd all be playing games playing uh 1942 and i remember one of the things i always loved to do was fly the bomber on top of the bridge on one of the maps and i wouldn't stop (laughs) until i did it didn't care about killing anyone as long as i could land that bomber (laughs) i you know um I was watching some stunt videos about Battle of 1942 earlier today. Do you remember all the stunt videos that were on YouTube back then? Not very well, no. Yeah, there was a landing the bomber on the bridge is definitely the highlight of a lot of videos. Um, I think our dad still plays Battlefield 1942, doesn't he? Yeah, he absolutely does. He hasn't moved on to more modern battlefields. I've tried getting him to play some of the newer ones, and he might have played them for a little while, but he always ends up back to 1942. I think it's uh, it's because it's easier. You know, as I look through this uh, article from Whoops, I found another funny line. Uh, he literally <laughs> writes, I remember the day that my mother told me she was pregnant with my second sister. I was humming to the sound of the 1942 theme. That was a great day. Do you remember that theme, Rob? Of course I do. Dun, 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 dun. Isn't that how it goes? Similar, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not exactly uh, going to win awards with my singing voice there, but that's okay. So what do you remember about Battlefield in the early days? Well, other than uh, trying to land that bomber on the bridge, I would say I remembered the tanks being able to, you know, See a vehicle driving by, shoot at it, blow them up, being able to drive around in the vehicles, fly around in the planes, uh, be in the boats. It was just, it was incredible being playing this game because you had all these different vehicle options in a multiplayer setting. It was something I'd never really experienced before that, where, you know, you'd play mostly single player games, Medal of Honor, things like that, and you didn't really get to drive the vehicles, or if you did, it wasn't against other players that were other people. So it was it was very cool getting to experience that, I remember as a kid. This battlefield was one of my pleasant gaming surprises in life. It was, it, I mean, it was a complete surprise. I had no clue what I was getting when I came across it. I, I hadn't heard about it. I... I I had I had no idea what it was. I don't know why, but I remember clearest day. I was walking through Target with my girlfriend at the time, and I saw this game on an end cap, and I picked it up. And I remember seeing it talk about sixty four person battles, and I had never before come across a game that had sixty four people playing at one time. And I thought that the concept was just awesome and that was it i had never heard of it i didn't know what it was i bought that game and my god was it so much fun it was absolutely so much fun you know i was in college at the time and i lived in the dorms and we were all hooked up to one another so a bunch of us ended up buying it and i just remember that damn theme song blaring out of room after room walking through the dorms from floor to floor as we were all playing together and doing the most stupidest shit you could possibly think of in the game. All of my close friends that I still hang out with to this day, every single one of them played Battlefield. I mean, 
I, and I, I, when I say close friends, I literally mean close friends. Like, legitimately, my whole wedding party, my best friend that I talk to almost every day, and everyone in between from that social group, and I played Battlefield up and down the halls of 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 Wise Hall. <laughs> oh man, it was so much fun. Did you ever have a chance to play it in large, large groups? Not like people that I know, obviously, just uh, just logging in online and playing like that. I never really got into large groups and LAN parties or things like that with Battlefield. Definitely had many a smash night hosted at my apartment in college where we'd have uh, 20, 25 people smashing into my apartment with multiple uh, consoles all playing smash. There you go. All right. So, Rob, you had talked about landing your plane on top of a bridge and that was the kind of stuff that we did all the time and back then this was uh, a god i mean 2002 was what 18 years ago yeah that would be math yeah yeah thanks appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) there were all these stupid stupid videos of us doing the stupidest things um on it and i wanted to take a moment and show you some of them real quick so we're going to post this on memorycardlane.com. Rob, can you see it okay? Yes, I can. All right. So what, what I'm showing Rob is a, a stunts reel. All the stupid stuff that people used to post online from this game. And I don't remember any videos like this before this of any game, mostly because I don't remember a game that had 64 people. But right now we're looking at about 24 <laughs> oh my my goodness (laughs) so we just watched a plane mow down about 20 straight guys that were lined up in a row (laughs) oh c4 flying jeep that (laughs) that was that was my absolute favorite thing that we always used to do nice so one of the things the c4 in this game was ridiculous and you could drive jeeps up hills and then just load c4 at the top of the hill and launch your jeeps across the entire map and they would just go flying so far and so (laughs) yeah man oh here you go this is what i wanted to show you look at this and how's that oh but we just jumped out oh see you wanted to land it yourself you 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 didn't like it that they jumped out and let the plane land itself. Yeah, I landed that boy with myself and then oh. hopped out and walked the bridge. Man, well, I mean, not everyone can be as skilled as you. Look at that. They cleared that river in a Jeep. That's impressive. Yes, it is. Just goes to show you the power of a Jeep. <laughs> Nothing quite like those willies. Nothing quite like those willies. And I remember watching these all the time and being so excited to try them. Try the loop-de-loops, bomber under the bridge. And then just making those Jeeps launch all over. I know you can't see the screen very well, but at one point someone commented on the chat on the screen, I can't believe we're having this much fun doing this, which absolutely sums up how I feel about it. Because who would have guessed that you could have that much fun not actually playing the game itself? Uh, absolutely. You definitely can have a lot of fun doing some crazy random stuff like this. I know I've uh, definitely tried some weird fun stuff in Battlefield myself. Yeah, so it it was just one of those games that you could just have a ton of fun. Man, I, I just, it was, I, it was an early game and it was a ton of fun. So, you know, we've had a lot of fun reminiscing about the game 
I, you know, I, I took a moment to go back and look at Amazon reviews for this game. You know, I, I really like looking at reviews. It, it sometimes gives you a little time snap into what people thought about the games at the time. And Jaybird writes, another awesome feature is that for the most part, the maps, weapons, vehicles, and equipment are historically accurate. My kids are learning World War II history from these games. They learn about the Axis and the Allied powers, what battles were fought, where they were fought, what the terrain was like, what types of weaponry was used, etc., etc. So my question to you, Rob, is are you buying it? Are his kids actually learning World War II history from these games? I mean, unless he's having them walk around the vehicles and identify them, probably not. Okay, so maybe not stuff in detail, but what are the chances that their his kids had heard of any of the maps before this? Like, uh, what were the maps on Battlefield 1942? Wasn't it Guadalcanal and... Man, I should have looked this up before I started, huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just kidding. I would say that unless... Uh, it depends on the age of the kids entirely. Uh, dep- if they're younger, I highly doubt they would heard... If they are younger, I highly doubt they would heard have heard of many of the maps. But if they were older, maybe took a, uh, a more advanced course into World War II history, a few of the maps were more notable. Uh, battles within the war fair enough you know chances are they may not have heard of these battles so there are battles like wake island the battle of midway iwo jima omaha beach operation market garden that's where you like to you know land your plane on that big bridge stalingrad berlin maybe they at least learned about those in in the game uh maybe maybe very possible yes they sure didn't learn much about it when they started adding all the weird stuff to the game. Eventually, they 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 added the road to Rome. I mean, you know, that's got actual stuff like Monte Casino. But the last expansion of the game, Secret Opens of World War II, which introduced things like a, a jetpack, if I remember correctly. Do you, do you remember Secret Opens of World War II at all? No, I can't say I've ever played that one. They had like a jetpack and a rifle grenade and... Uh, uh, there was just a bunch of really weird additions to the series. You know what I do remember, though? I remember when they started to mod Battlefield 1942, and I was so excited to play it. The first big mod was Desert Combat that I remember. Do you remember the Desert Combat mod at all? Not very well. Uh, I had to actually look this one up online to see what it was. But uh, upon looking at it, uh, I do believe that I had to have played because I definitely remember a, an A-10 Warthog in this game. And uh, that is where I'm finding many pictures of that. So I would have to say that I had to have played it if I remember that uh, plane being in that game. The guys that created the Desert Combat mod eventually got bought by Digital Illusions which became Dice New York, and then they started working on Battlefield 2. Are you sure you're just not remembering things from the second Battlefield game? You know, that's that's very possible. It, it, it is very possible. I can't say I remember it by name, so it's possible I'm just thinking of Battlefield 2. I don't really remember where the A1 was. I think you're right. The A1 is definitely from the Desert Combat mod, but I'm just saying Dice became, you know, that's kind of where they got their start. And then, if I remember correctly, I'm sure someone out there is going to correct me. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, back to the topic of learning history from games. 
are we learning history from modern warfare games like Call of Duty Warzone? I would not think so. Uh, it seems a lot of those are not events that have happened or um, hopefully are going to happen. What about the upcoming Cold War Call of Duty? I saw Ronald Reagan's face the other day. Are we learning history from that one? I can't say that I'm familiar with that. I'm actually going to have to uh, take a look into that and see. Oh, man. I'm kidding you with breaking gaming news here. So what about other games? Are there other games in which we're learning history? Are games that are better at teaching history than this one? Well, there were a lot of educational games growing up. Like what? Like the Leapfrogs. Ah, uh, not the Leapfrogs. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Civilization. Sid Meier Civilization. There you go. Absol- absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I remember Age of Empires. I probably learned more about the Phoenicians from Age of Empires than I did from history class, even through college. When I got to college, I already knew who the Phoenicians were, thanks to Age of Empires. Uh, also, another good one would be Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I was gonna—I was hoping you would bring that up. The modern Assassin's Creed, heck, Assassin's Creed. Which one was in Egypt? Origins was Origins. Yeah, Origins. Assassin's Creed Origins has a history mode with which doesn't have fighting you just go around from monument to monument and you read information about it it's kind of cool i would be really interested to see if someone got to use that in class playing through assassin's creed origins and playing through odyssey one of my absolute favorite things is that you know i love history it's what one of my degrees is in one of my absolute favorite things is to get to see all these civilizations and I realize it's an artist's interpretation. I really do. But, you know, to get to see all these civilizations in a, come to life, basically, you know, you don't really get to see them normally any other way. And to get to walk through a real living version of, you know, the pyramids with people next to them or to get to walk through uh, Athens, you know, and, and Odyssey, a, a real living, breathing version of that city and meet and talk with all these characters. Granted, not conversations that they ever really had in our whole world, because who believes in a conspiracy theory, theory, you know, with the Templars and Illuminati and all that garbage, but just, it's so cool that they bring all this to life, you know? Yeah, I would agree. Any other games? We got Civ, we got Age of Empires. I mean, there used to be like, the Caesar series. You ever play any of those? It doesn't sound familiar. I think you missed out on a lot of really early strategy games. There weren't a lot of strategy games once you got older, though, where their strategy is just not as prominent as a gaming category as it used to be. No, there were definitely uh, a couple. I mean, uh, the Command and Conquer series has been going on for forever. Um, and then Halo Wars... There was one Tom Clancy game that I can't quite remember the name of that I was quite fond of. It was cool. You could actually speak into the microphone to command your units. Wasn't that like Hawks or something like that? No, Hawks was the oh, one where you N- flew around. N-War? Was it N-War? That's, yes, it was Tom Clancy's N-War. There were two of them, weren't there? Um, uh, if there was a second, I was unaware. I'm pretty sure you bought me a copy of the first one. Yes, I probably did. Because that was one that I quite enjoyed playing. I can see it on the shelf from here. It was a used copy, so it's in a like a non-descript box with the title written on the side. Ah, nice. I like that. 
like a GameStop copy where they had to just print a fake case, you know? Yeah, it just goes to show you uh, what brought someone else joy is continuing to do so today. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring up Command & Conquer, because Command & Conquer, along with Age of Empires, are two of the earliest strategy games I can ever remember playing. I wouldn't exactly call Command & Conquer one that was good for, not that you did, because we were just talking about strategy games in general, but I had to giggle when I thought about Command & Conquer in the context of learning about history, because that's definitely not history, it's alternate history in some weird bizarro universe where the united where the communists are still uh in power you know yeah right <laughs> definitely uh not the way things are today no. no 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 although there are a lot of alternate history games that are really cool i think video games and movies that rewrite history and reimagine things are really awesome actually like uh that amazon series man in the high castle isn't that one of them i'm not familiar with that You've never heard of that one? It's the one where the Nazis are still in power? No, I haven't. Oh, you should really watch that one. It's pretty cool. I think that's what it's called. Again, I'm wrong, and someone out there is going to blast me on social media for it, but that's okay. I'm a video game expert, people, not a movie or TV expert. An expert's putting it uh, very loosely. Ooh, ouch, 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 ouch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Rob, anything else you want to talk about uh, Battlefield 1942? I think that I am good on the topic. Yeah, me too. That was a nice blast from the past. I I spent way too many hours playing that game with my friends. I'm sure our neighbors were tired of hearing that Battlefield theme song come out of our, the speakers in my dorm room and other dorm rooms, lots and lots of other dorm rooms. You know, it's pretty cool that our dorms were all wired together and that we could literally play video games with the guys on like the third floor. That's pretty awesome. So, yeah. Well, all right, guys. So, you know what? Let's take another break. Let's take a break. Got it. Break, break, break. Dave, have you heard about all the reckless driving over in Silver Lake? Oh, man, it's been crazy over there lately. I saw a video in which a car was forced off the cliff and went flying right into Silver Lake. Can you imagine how scary that would be? I can't even imagine. Sure brings another meaning to the words. Gone fishing, doesn't it? Did you see that RV that rolled over the other day? I did. Some stupid homewrecker in a little race car just plowed into him and sent him flying across the road. Nobody is safe over in Silver Lake these days. Man, it's just frightening. I can't imagine how anyone would want to drive those roads with all those cars racing around. Well, they can't exactly stop going to work, Dave. Or school. The store, even. People have to live their lives. Yeah, I know, but what about the risk? Well, Dave, accidents can happen anywhere. With that in mind, our friends over at the Criterion Insurance Company wanted us to extend a welcome to any residents of Silver Lake worried about commuting day in and day out. What's the deal with Criterion, Rob? Well, Dave... Criterion has years invested into the Silver Lakes community, and they want everyone to know that they're here to stay, and more importantly, here to help. And how exactly do they intend to help, Rob? Criterion promises to help the citizens of Silver Lake no matter what. No one can take down the dedication of the Criterion Insurance Company, no matter the reason you need them. Crashes, breaking cars, reckless rampages, road rage, or even those unfortunate laps in which everything just ends up burning. Criterion is there for you. Man, they sound like a stand-up company. They are, Dave. Always on the battlefront, helping innocent people caught up in reckless behavior. Sometimes, it's like a battlefield out there, but they've always got our back. Criterion, it is what it is. (laughs) 
so stupid. I'm so stupid. Oh man, I I hope some people get it because there's so many stupid little jokes written into those. Uh, all right, we good? You ready to move on? Yeah. All right, so we've had an opportunity to look at Battlefield 1942 and other games under the guise of an educational tool that maybe we can all agree in those games that the violence is just a window dressing and that the educational value is the real meat and potatoes. It's this concept of, a, of violence being a window dressing that brings us to our next game. We're going to jump ahead a few years to 2004 and take a look at Burnout 3 Takedown. Rob, are you a Burnout fan? Yes, I am, Dave. Uh, Burnout series is very fun. I remember playing it a lot growing up, especially the times me, you, and Dad would sit in the living room and go back and forth on the crash mode, seeing who could cause the most destruction and get the highest score. Uh, definitely remember all the countless hours we spent doing that. <laughs> I agree. So on a thread pointing to an IGN article about Burnout 3 being the most perfect arcade racer ever, Samuel Enderby writes, Burnout 3 is the only game I can fire up to vent aggression. There is always this argument that traditionally violent games are great for that, but not for me. Even playing Doom, I get too into the game, finding secrets, managing health, etc. The violence is just a window dressing, which has its own appeal, don't get me wrong. It just doesn't translate to feeling violent at all. Balling your fist and wanting to smash something, nothing compares to the feeling of impact and force of takedowns in Burnout 3. So we'll come back to the thrill of Burnout 3, but first, do you, do you agree with him that violence is just a window dressing for everything else they put into the games? Uh, I know, that's a tough one, huh? So do you feel that violence is the driver of the game or that violence is just one part of of the game everything else is just the, the polish in the game itself like what's this what's specific i definitely don't think that violence is just window dressing for everything else uh, i think that there is a lot of aspects they put into these games and that you know while there is a violent aspect it's more to it it's that the violent aspect is uh just kind of the means to an end and of portraying the art and everyone has a different thing that they're into some people want that mayhem destruction because it's a way that they can vent. They can do things that they know is not moral and that they can't do in real life. But it's also through that they might find some different kind of satisfaction. It might be they really enjoy the the calming motion of the repetitive driving around or the just the different cinematics that they're seeing throughout the game. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I am... Violence isn't just a window dressing for everything else. Violence is one part of the game. I'm definitely the type of gamer that gets lost in the games very easily. You know, I, I play Far Cry or Assassin's Creed or anything like that, and I have to collect every stupid little thing. And so I get lost in games and I don't vent my frustration on them the same way, but they're an escape for me because of everything else, because I can just go in there and I can hunt this thing down, I can hunt that thing down, and suddenly hours are gone because I've been exploring every nook and cranny looking for something. I definitely have games that I play just to zone out and 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 not focus on it. And I think that's a lot of... I think that's what Rocket League is for me, although I think Rocket League may amplify my aggression sometimes. I would definitely say that it amplifies aggression. There have been many days where... Uh... I thought about taking off my headphones because of how loud you are. <laughs> but I think uh I think for the most part I you know, violence is 
violence is just a part of all the games. It's 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 one part, and so I understand where he comes from, and he says it's just a window dressing because it's easy to get lost in all the other stuff when all you want to do is just venture aggression. Are you the kind of person that turns to violent video games, Rob? Mm, not really. I enjoy playing them, but there's not really any venting reasons. I mean, most of the games that I play are what caused me to feel angry in the first place, like Rocket League. So can't really <laughs> use that to vent when that's the game that causes me the frustration in the first place. So while we're talking about quote-unquote window dressings, can we go back to Crash Mode? You remember Dad, yourself, and myself playing Crash Mode all the time, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely felt that uh, it was normally yourself that would lead, and I would have a close second, and... There would always be those one one or two times where Dad would surprise the both of us and kick our asses. <laughs> so for the topic of this discussion, I'd like to refer to a reply in the same thread by Baron about Crash Modes. He writes, it was definitely a cooler named puzzle mode. And I definitely have to agree with that. I remember playing each Crash Junction for hours, picking different cars, different ways to fly into traffic until I found the one that did the most damage. Do you remember all the stupid things we used to do? Yeah, I definitely remember all of the time that we spent trying to get, I think it was three stars is the way that the game did this uh, ratings, and just trying to find the optimal point. Like, ooh, if I hit this and slide it off this way and then blow up into this and then cause my car to jump over that railing and hit that, is that going to be enough? But Yeah, it was always it was always the buses, wasn't it? Always the buses. The buses were the best and the worst thing for you to hit. Absolutely. Always, always the buses. Anything else about Burnout 3 stick out to you? It is definitely one of the earlier games I remember playing with uh, racing that I really enjoyed. I remember it was a little difficult to get the hang of it at first. The power sliding or wrecking people and uh, having to, once you crash, continue on driving. But you would smack other people to get your boost or oncoming traffic and i thought that was a really cool concept that hit the entire game was based around causing mayhem and destruction that's how you got better that's how you got faster with your boost was just crash into everything cause everyone else to crash just cause as much destruction as you can it's always fun yeah i burnout 3 was awesome it was i love the takedowns i love the crash mode i love everything i Again, this is one that we used to sit on futon in my dorm room with my friends and destroy things. When was this? 2004? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe not futon, but couch, and probably not dorm room, but apartment at that point. I remember playing the first two burnouts on futon in the dorm room for sure. But by the time this one came out, I think I was living in an apartment just off campus. Might as well have been a dorm room at that point, though. So definitely was just couch mode, playing this with friends, that stupid crash mode over and over and over. I associate burnout with super hot summers and a box fan breeze coming from the window because that's when we used to play it was when we had all the time and it was super hot in the door rooms and they weren't air conditioned and we would we would freaking have the box fan blowing through the room. And we'd be trying to knock buses off of curves and stuff in the original. But, you know, as they got older, they got better. So smells awesome. like sweat and pizza, Dave. Oh, God, it probably did. You know, I in, in hindsight, I can't even imagine how 
I can't even imagine what those dorm rooms smelled like. I don't, I don't even want to think about it. So let's just move on. So, <laughs> so I want to talk about one thing before we wrap up today's episode, unless there's anything else you have about the game, Any, anything else you want to cover about the game? I'll go on my end, Dave. How freaking solid was the soundtrack to this game? Do you remember the soundtrack at all? I vaguely remember it, but not nearly as much as I remember other games. Yeah. Uh huh. So, you know, people don't know. I was a little punk rock, alternative emo kid, kind of all the above. And this soundtrack was absolute fire. It had Fallout Boy. It had Franz Ferdinand. Had Funeral for a Friend. Had Jimmy Eats World. Had Motion City soundtrack. My Chemical Romance. Newfound Glory. Pennywise. Rise Against. Yellow Card. I mean, geez, Louise, this is like the who's who of music for me in that age. And if we can afford the licensing for any of them, I would definitely play all of them for you on here. Do you, you don't remember any of that music? I definitely remember now that you mentioned a lot of those names. This is probably about where my uh, alternative and emo punk rock phase came from, because a lot of those names that you mentioned definitely were what I was listening to. So I have to guess. Sounds to me like I have to thank you for my taste in music at the time. As well as Burnout. Gotta thank Burnout. That's right. Gotta thank Burnout. And then there was that DJ. This is Stryker on Crash FM covering all things Burnout. Man, I love Stryker FM. That just... uh, They did a really good job with this episode. A really good job. Well, that's, that's it. We did it. Another episode down. Thunderous applause, everyone. Rob, would you like to add anything? I am good. Rob, what are you playing right now? That would be RuneScape, Dave. Do you, do you play RuneScape while we're recording? Well, considering that there are many skills that I can do without maintaining a lot of focus, I wouldn't say that I do it often, but it's definitely happened from time to time. <laughs> oh, man. I'm jealous. All right, everyone. Well, we'd like to thank you for sticking with us for another episode of our podcast. If you'd like to join our community and become a part of our conversation, you can find all the information on memorycardlane.com. On memorycardlane.com, you'll find notes on the sources to all of our episodes, pictures of our stupid faces, links to our Discord community, and a link to our Patreon if you'd like to contribute financially to help our community grow. That's right, everyone. Starting at just $2, you can support us in the growth of our nostalgic community. You can go to patreon.com slash trip down memorycardlane or... Just go to visit the link on our website, memorycardlane.com. Like Dave said, we appreciate you spending time with us every week, and we hope to hear from more of you soon. Awesome. Well, that's another one in the books, Rob. How about you take us out of here? I can do that, Dave. All right, everyone. Thanks again for stopping by. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at 1993's Mortal Kombat, its role in the early console wars, and all the controversy around the game itself. Join us again next week as we take a trip down memory card lane. Episode 2 of our podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane, titled Never Walk Away, was recorded on September 7th, 2020 from our respective homes. It was written, edited, and produced by David Casson, recorded, and co-hosted by both David Casson and Robert Casson. Our theme song and other musical interludes are pieces of Open Those Bright Eyes, produced by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0, and can be found on his collection of royalty-free music at incompetech.com. All other sound effects are found at free 
everysound.org under Creative Commons Zero Attributions, and you can find direct links to every story, memory, and quote on our website, memorycardlane.com. We hope you'll join us again next time.